Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Madrigal at the Movies with Rob and Rob. I am one of your hosts, Peter Madrigal. Hey, guys, and I'm director Rob Federick, and as always, I'm really excited to be here. Guys, it's me, Rob Schulte, over here on the other side of the country. Super excited to be here as well. This is awesome. A new year, same podcast, awesome, awesome movie talk. Season two. Season two. I can't believe we're moving right along. And today, everybody, we are reviewing the first of the trilogy of the Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Rings. Okay. (laughs) I mean, this is going to be this is going to be a good time. Ain't that right, guys? I think it's a great way to kick off the year, especially because it is one of my favorite trilogies of all time. And we're going to have a blast. So, Director Rob, what would you say the rating for this movie is? Uh, I would say... If you have not seen The Lord of the Rings, you either need to stab yourself with a sword somewhere or like put a ring around your neck and like until maybe you stop breathing. Because this is by far, if not the best fantasy trilogy ever made. There is nothing like this, guys. This this When this movie came out, it was unique. I was expecting something in the movie theaters when I went that was great. But damn, I got to tell you, I walked out of there going, this was amazing. I could not stop talking about this movie. So I don't know, Rob, I, I and, and Peter, I don't know if you guys share my sentiments, but I think it's time for that little segment we call It's Time for Back of the Box. Oh, what's in the box? What's in the fucking box? I went to the mines of my apartment and I found <laughs> my VHS tape of The Fellowship of the Ring and... God, I mean, there wasn't any dust on it. It was pristine. And I I held it up to a fire, and on the back, this is what it had to say. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Were they in, was it in Elvish? <laughs> it was, but luckily I'm going to translate it here for the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. With the help of a courageous fellowship of friends and allies... Frodo embarks on a perilous mission to destroy the legendary One Ring. Hunting Frodo are servants of the Dark Lord Sauron, the ring's evil creator. If Sauron reclaims the ring, Middle-earth is doomed. Winner of four Academy Awards, this epic tale of good versus evil, friendship and sacrifice will transport you to a world beyond imagination. Woo! Woo! I, I can't even say I'm speechless right now. Oh, man. Okay, so first of all, I just want to say that this, uh, picking this movie right now to start off the year <laughs> is really, really, for me, starting the year off with a bang because of how good this movie is. Now, of course, there are some people who I've, uh, you know, encountered that say that, oh, I don't really like it. It's boring. Blasphemy. Blasphemy. <laughs> movie blasphemy. It's like they, they don't understand what's going on. I'm, I'm literally like, okay, how do you not understand who is where and what is going on? Because the you know my criteria for a good movie. It's the opening and to refer to the, the characters by their character names. I, I got to say, man... I mentioned this earlier when I was talking about the rating, but I got to tell you that I, when I first saw this movie, I saw it when it came out in movie theaters. I remember I was in high school. I went with my two best friends or three best friends at the time. And we sat there. And like I said, I was expecting something awesome from all the trailers that I had seen. But I remember I read The Hobbit back in like fifth or sixth grade. I remember everybody like kind of brainwashed me. It was like, oh, The Hobbit is so boring. But there was something about it that I was interested in. I didn't realize my English teacher at the time was a total Tolkien fanatic. When I saw this movie, it tied that fanaticism together. I was mesmerized. This is the most amazing fantasy movie I had ever seen. I got home and I was talking to my mom, my dad, sorry, my grandma who was visiting at that time. Uh, I was just like, this is the best movie ever. Oh, my God. I, <laughs> like, I obsessed for it for weeks. I couldn't stop thinking about it. I have a extremely specific memory about learning about the Lord of the Rings. Okay? So, mm. I no one in my family had or wanted or did anything involving fantasy. 
involving swords, sorcery. It was just never a part of a fandom like that. My dad was a beer head. You know, he liked cars. That's what he grew up with, right? right. My mom uh, just wasn't part of her, her wheelhouse. You know, so I was never exposed to anything like this. The closest thing that I had was my aunt worked at the local Renaissance Festival. You know, oh, and, shit. and that was fun, but it was, it's not the same when it's like, well, I kind of know this person and we're just eating turkey legs and it's 99 mm-hmm. degrees <laughs> and I, you know what I mean? Like, uh, so having any sort of knowledge of Tolkien or anything was just not there. And I remember sitting at the lunch table cause this was like my freshman year of high school when this came out. And some new friends that I had made been like, are you excited? I already got my tickets. I'm going to see the Lord of the Rings uh, midnight showing. And I was like, I don't even really know what that is. And it was like the record scratch stop. Like everyone else at my lunch table was like, you don't know the Lord of the Rings? And I think this tells you a little bit about the (laughs) lunch tables I sat at. But... um, Well, you know what this reminds me of, actually, Rob. Did you ever did you ever watch the show Friends? I did, I did. So it's like uh, Chandler and Ross get really excited because they have a friend coming into town who they nickname Gandalf <laughs> because he always took them on crazy <laughs> party adventures, right? Yeah. And they're getting so excited. They're like, "Yeah, Gandalf is coming," or whatever. And then Joey's like, "Who's Gandalf?" He's like, "What? Lord of the Rings? Like you don't know Gandalf?" And he's like. You didn't read. You didn't read Lord of the Rings in high school, and Joey's like, "No, I had sex in high school." <laughs> <laughs> like you could have just come back with that one, Rob, and be like, "No, I have sex right now." That's, that's what I do. I very well could have, but uh, you know, my I wasn't as quick witted back at uh, fifteen, and so, but I I gave into peer pressure and I got my tickets and I went to see this with my friends on opening night, midnight showing, and was blown away. But we'll get into it later on a newfound appreciation I have for the movie after rewatching it uh, just mm. this week. Peter, what what were you, what were you what was your experience with this? Well, my experience is my entire life. So <laughs> when I was a kid, no, I'm serious. So when I was a kid, I was first exposed to the Tolkien universe um, through the old movie The Hobbit. It was the cartoon Rankin yes. Bass. Oh, yeah. Which was yeah. like rotoscoped live action too. No, know? no, 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 no. That's the Lord of the Rings. I'm talking about the original. I hated that movie, by oh, the way. Oh, the Lord okay, of the Rings right. movie. Oh, no, no, I that's hated right. That. Yeah, no, you're right. The, the Rankin, Hobbit. The, the, yeah. Yes. yes, yes, yes. The Rankin Bass movie with, um, what's that guy's name that played the Dragon Smog? I forget. Uh, he was, the he guy- was a big movie star back <clears throat> in the day. But uh, but he voiced the he yes. was the voice for Smog, yes. and that movie enthralled me because like that was the first time I was like, oh, what is this all about? You know, swords and sorcery. Yeah. And then I read uh, I read The Hobbit when I was a kid. Yeah. But I was not as enthralled. I hated the movie, The Lord of the Rings. The, yeah, the, yeah, that the, live action, the live action slash mix. animation. Yeah, oh, it was that a, was, it was a weird. Thing. That was crap. It's because they didn't have the budget to pull that shit off. Well, here's the thing. I German, saw. Wasn't it? No, it was. Um, what I thought was it was like name? a German American production. Like yeah. It was co co. Yeah, I forget what it, I remember reading about. Well, it. Well, I remember like someone did a um, a review of the of the Fellowship and compared the and contrasted that one with the Lord of the Rings movie, that yeah. weird one. Yeah. And they said that the Aragon from the cartoon was better than than Viggo Mortensen's Aragon. And I was like, you okay? We're done. That's yeah. it. For me. No. <laughs> That's exactly, dude. What I want to cast about? Viggo Mortensen in our movie. Should I reveal the title? Yeah, do it. Uh, in our movie Carpe Noctum, dun, 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 mm. as uh, as one of the characters. But you, did you guys know that Vigo was not the original yes. Aragorn? Yes. What? No, it I was did actually. Not. Yeah, it was another case of the Back to the Future syndrome, <gasps> where they had cast Stuart Townsend, mm-hmm. and he was Aragorn, and they actually shot scenes with him as Aragorn. And Peter Jackson looked at the footage, and something wasn't working. Yeah. Wow. And he was saying, look, you know what? Ultimately, you know, I think Stewart's a good actor. It's just he's too young for the role. Yeah. And it was a heartbreaking thing. Peter Jackson talks about, you know, being a very difficult decision. But, you know, this is what makes a great, a good director great. Yeah. He, he pulled the trigger on a tough decision and basically fired Stewart 
and they cast Vigo and Vigo became the Aragorn we all know and love. There's yes. another cool tidbit I'll lay on later about Vigo being Aragorn, which I think is one of the most cool, badass things I've ever heard an actor do. So, yeah. Well, Strider. going back to what you were saying about uh, Strider, well, you were going back to what you were saying about Gandalf. You see, here's the thing. Number one. <laughs> I love that you're wearing a gray shirt today, by the way. <laughs> I kind of am matching you, actually, now that I think about it. Yeah. He has not um, reached his next form. No, I haven't. No, no. No. <laughs> I am like the biggest Gandalf fan. So, you know, I, I like you because know, I was a big Friends fan and I, I saw that reference and I was all like, OK, first of all, number one, let's face I I got late in high school, too, and I still knew what Lord of the Rings was. So maybe you're just uncultured, <laughs> Joey. Maybe you're just uncultured, man. I don't know. <laughs> but um, but I'm a big Gandalf the Grey fan. That's yes. like probably my favorite uh, you know, that's why you gave me that one question. That you threw me Dumbledore instead of Gandalf. Yes, yes, <laughs> damn yes, it, yes, yes, yes. I couldn't. I, uh, well, but <laughs> yeah, the, but guys, I mean, also, what a staple. Like you know, we talked about Titanic being an important film, right? I believe that the Lord of the Rings trilogy, right, is by far one of the most important films, film trilogies ever made because. Fantasy, if you look at any fantasy movie before The Lord of the Rings, right? Like medieval fantasy, it never quite hit the mark. There were maybe a few little staples here, but like fantasy movies, even in the 80s, like Kroll and all these other weird, like they always, like even Conan the Barbarian, right? Mm -hmm. They were good, but they had a, they had, like it was like a niche audience thing, right? Like not everybody's into them. Yeah. Yeah. They had a very signature 80s, you know, bare legged, like, uh, loincloth kind of look to them all like it, it wasn't there was nothing like it and then comes lord of the rings realism and it cemented it in realism um by the way peter jackson looked and studied the scenes in one of my favorite movies of all time the braveheart battle mm-hmm. scenes and told the crew i want the scenes to look like this like the battle wow. scenes need to look like this and i had never seen fantasy executed with such realism and that's what i think gave those films the gravitas for them to become what they became. Because th- this opened up the floodgates, guys. Like, if you look at it, after the Lord of the Rings trilogy, yeah. everything became a trilogy. Because that's when Star Wars was still coming out with the prequels. The Matrix trilogy came out like during that time. And then everything became a franchise. Everything became a franchise. And then also everything, people tried to do the fantasy thing. Yeah. Right after that too, mm-hmm. yeah. they were really trying to copy Lord of the Rings. Every every studio in in Hollywood was all like, "We need what's the next fantasy that we can do?" You know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's why. Yeah, I, I think I personally think that Lord of the Rings is the reason why Game of Thrones became so big. Yeah. Oh, has you know? to be, has to be. Oh yeah, we'll have to see what Amazon's going to do with that series because I heard that they're not going to dive in just to the War of the Ring, which is what the three movies are about or the three books yep. are about. It's actually going to dive into the mythology beforehand with like Morgoth and a little bit of the Cimmerillion and move through the seasons into the, you know, the final. That would be interesting. Which will be interesting. So I'm I'm curious to see what Amazon's going to do. Apparently, they're so, so tightly secretive that we won't be seeing much about it until the show's released. So I am really looking forward to that. I I have a quick question for you guys. Just something. I mean, hopefully you guys know because I do not. When did they start? production on the lord of the rings because i know they filmed them all like the same time but they did i I don't know when they even started because it feels like like if i were to look at this i was like what did they have to start in like 1995 you know that's so epic they started around 1998 1998 they they went around so peter jackson bought the property uh the rights to make them into films and he pitched it all around town and every studio in town said no wow or they said, make it into one film, not three. Oh, God. And the last oh. studio, New Line, I think it was the president of New Line, came in and met with Peter. And Peter Jackson wasn't really a... Like, let's just face it, guys. Like, nobody knew who the fuck Peter yeah, Jackson was. Well, yeah, he did. What, Dead Alive and The Frighteners? You know? The Frighteners was good. Sure, but I'm just saying, like, but that isn't... You didn't remember Peter Jackson, you know? No. You remember Frighteners, no. you know? And you remember Michael J. Fox. Yeah, yeah, of course. But nobody really knew who he was, and he's pitching these movies for a hundred million dollar budget each, right? Because back then it was one of the biggest budget productions ever. It was a three hundred million dollar investment on the fact of New Line. But the president of New Line came in, and apparently he, they did their pitch, and he just looked at him and just said, well, "There's three books, right?" 
And they were like, yes. And he's like, well, you should do three. And they <laughs> did the three movies and they approved it. And then they, they went to New Zealand, which, by the way, these movies put New Zealand on the map. Yeah, they did. The only big fantasy movie filmed in New Zealand before that that like had a staple sort of was Willow. Oh yeah, and again, <laughs> wow. those are the that's the fantasy. I mean, I love yeah. Willow. Don't Willow's get me wrong, great, but, but it are, is not the Lord of the Rings. Exactly, no, those not. were the fantasy movies of the time. They just didn't have that impact. So yeah. you know, now comes Peter Jackson and films this back to back to back in uh, in New Zealand. I think circa nineteen ninety eight, and then they released the first one in two thousand and one. One, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it just they, feels yeah, so epic, like yeah, in in the sense of like. What they were able to accomplish uh, through the technical side of things, as well as visually, as well as um, there's a word you don't like me to use, Rob, and a word you do like me to use, and I'm blanking <laughs> on both of them right now. Uh, but CGI, essentially, in this, yes. I think back to it and I'm like, oh, the 90s? No, everything looked like Johnny Mnemonic, you know? But this, <laughs> everything in this movie held up. It looks beautiful. Love well, yeah. compare it to the Hobbit movie. <laughs> well, see, so the Hobbit movies to me, the mm-hmm. Hobbit movies to me are uh, the Star Wars prequels to the original Star Wars. Whoa, that's I, what they are. I can big see, talk. For me, it's like I didn't necessarily mind the Hobbit movies being. I didn't think they were bad. I just they're better think, acted. Yeah, they just didn't have the magic that the Lord of the Rings captured. One because. The Lord of the Rings was shot on film and uh, the new ones are shot on digital. So there's a slightly different aesthetic look to them, right? I'm not going to argue about film and and digital because I love digital. But they also used way too much CG, for example, to create the orc faces and Mm -hmm. the sets. Something that the Lord of the Rings didn't have. Like they went with traditional makeup. Like they Mm -hmm. went with like more gravitas, more realism. Their design team. Guys, we we have to acknowledge Weta Workshop in this movie. Yeah, we do. Because Weta Workshop was what really gave that look and feel to that movie. So I think that just the overall visual aesthetic and the realism and the, the just attention to detail that these the movie got, it was just astounding. One of my questions that I actually posed to myself was, I, I wonder, as I was watching The Fellowship of the Ring, I, I was thinking to myself, I wonder what, if J.R. Tolkien was alive, what his thoughts would be on the movie. That's a really good question. Like, what oh, would he wow. think of this? You know, because there's a lot of authors out there that are don't like the work that Hollywood puts out for some of the work that they that they publish. Sure. Uh, take Alan Moore, for Alan instance. Moore, he yeah, hates yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. Or Roald Dahl said he hated the original witches, by the way. Like when it came out. Wow. He was like, he was like, take my fucking name off of this piece of shit. Like he literally was really? so Grandma, he didn't Grandma. Like the ending. Yeah. <laughs> so I can understand. Everything else that is part. cool about yeah. that movie. He just hated the ending. Yeah, yeah. Wait, what so I I've always wondered what J.R. Tolkien himself would think about this. I think that he would be very, very pleased with the with the product. That's just my thought, you know, and the fact that, you know, some people don't like the, like the book more because, you know, they, they stop over at Tom Bombadil's house. It's like, well, that, that kind of doesn't really matter, well, you know, or, or some of the, you know, the, um, what do you call it? The journeys from here to there. Oh, it takes this many years. It's not instantaneous. It's like, well, this is a movie and some things need to be sped up. Mm-hmm. Apparently like the, the, the journey for Gandalf from, Hobbiton to Minas Tirith when he discovers what the ring is took what three years till he finally got back to Frodo and sent him on his journey. It's like, would you really have a cut in the middle of the movie? It's like three years later. Can you imagine that? Oh my so, gosh. Guys, I pulled up what Christopher Tolkien, you know, um, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien's oldest son, who actually helped finish the Cimmerillion uh, with him, right? Like, like really? he grabbed, yeah, I think. Tolkien was writing the Cimmerillion, uh, which was like him diving back into all this mythology that he had created over like years, right? And he was writing the prequel and this myth- this this mythology of the building of the world of Middle Earth. But unfortunately, he passed away during it, so his son Christopher finished it. So I pulled up what he had to say, and actually, he trashed the Lord of the Rings. Wow! He says the film lacks beauty and seriousness what? of the books, and said. 
Um, hold on, let me pull up this quote again. He said, They eviscerated the books by making it an action movie for young people aged 15 to 25. What? Said Christopher Tolkien of The Lord of the Rings, revealing that he turned down an invitation to meet Jackson, and it seems that The Hobbit will be the same kind of film. So I guess Christopher Tolkien was not happy, and I guess I'm assuming it's because the book... You can't include everything in a book into a movie. And there's a beauty, I guess, of the fellowship and the friendship. But like, if you put that on film, it'd be boring. I think that the Lord of the Rings executed the books brilliantly and changed what they needed to change to continue a narrative film the way it needed to be. I think it, they did a really great job with them. I can't... What kind of... I, I, I've, I'm wondering now, what kind of movies... Does Christopher Tolkien like to watch? That I mean, he's an eighty-year-old man. I mean, oh, okay. I, I, don't, I don't know, you know. But if I were Christopher Tolkien, I'd be ultimately very flattered at the visual execution of that film because there are some things that I read in the book when I see them on that film are the spitting image of what I imagined. Wow. I know God. Gandalf is a spitting image. <laughs> Dude, when I saw Bag End. Bilbo's house for yeah. the first time. I was like, that's exactly how I pictured it. Yep. Like that that is the that is the freaking house. Guys, I was looking for um I was talking to a real estate agent and I was like, have you ever seen The Lord of the Rings? Um uh, because my perfect house would be Bilbo Baggins' home. And she was oh, like, wow. she was like, oh, you mean over in the Shire? And I was like, oh, thank God I found the right person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have yet to find that home. I myself but. had myself a little hobbit sized breakfast today. I had bacon, eggs, <laughs> uh, little, uh, uh, what's it called? The bacon, eggs, and potatoes. But like, I, I did it because of the weather top scene. Because oh, they're like, yep. eggs, ba- uh, tomato, crispy, nice, crispy bacon, or whatever. <laughs> And I was like, I want to eat that. Like yeah. that's that's my breakfast. I got a question for you guys. What is your standout moment in this movie, in the Fellowship of the Rings? The Fellowship oh, of the man. Ring. What, what, Do we what, have what enough is, time? No, no, no. <laughs> what, what, like, what's the most? What? What is? Like right now, for instance, I get something right away. Do it later. Okay. On There's two. Number one is when uh, Elrond. Um, Tells the fellowship you will she'll be called the fellowship of the ring. And then yeah. Pippin goes Right. Where are we going? <laughs> <laughs> That's the number one thing that stands out to me. And then the yes. number two is when they're coming over the mountain and then the music is blaring and then dun, and dun, then you dun, yeah, you dun, see dun, first you see Gandalf and then you see the Hobbits, and then the last one you see is Aragon coming through. Those God. are my two, those are the two scenes that jump out to me. This is where I go like, what the fuck was Christopher Tolkien talking about? The I know. Be- lacks beauty. Every shot in this movie is beautiful. Exactly. It is. And I forget the, con- I forget the concept artist's names, but th- th- he Peter Jackson essentially hired two of the guys that did like 90% of the Tolkien covers for all wow. the books over goddamn, like Alan something and and I forget Neil, I forget their names, God, but like he still uses them. But they were the guys that do all the concept drawings and cover drawings for all the books. He hired those guys because those were the guys that Tolkien's estate approved. No kidding. So I don't understand. I think there's there's probably uh, just just like a mental block that's like, no, this is what it is. It's not a movie, you know. You, you and and that's that's so hard, especially like I think we've all met frustrated older folks and sometimes you're just not gonna get (laughs) you're not gonna make them budge they've been here you know and i can understand because he grew up on it yeah and it's his father's life's work i don't know but i still don't god it's just like no look at this it's amazing (laughs) it's beautiful Um, yes what was your standout moment i have so there's two and there was this okay so i'm gonna be fair guys i'm Pretty sure I watched the extended version of this. Oh, that's so fine. good. So um, that's fine. So good. Everybody and, should watch that. But I don't. I don't know. Let's just. You guys can let me know because I don't remember the. Okay, I gotta open up to you guys. I have not watched the Lord of the Rings since the mid two thousands. 
So really, this was a whole new experience for me. Did I remember well, most of cool. it? Absolutely, yes. Did I appreciate it in an entirely new way? Yes. I don't think the when I originally watched these movies, I had all of the capacity to respect them and like to understand them. Like, did I get the story? Yeah. Yeah. I got it. But since I had since I talked about earlier, guys, I had no concept of fantasy for, really for the most part. Wow. And and so like coming into the Lord of the Rings, it's like trying to, to learn how to swim by just being thrown into a lake, you know? And yeah. so like I'm like all over the place like what is this? What is that? What is this? So watching it again, I was like, "Oh my god, this is beautiful." And one of those scenes is when Boromir attacks Frodo and then yeah. all of the orcs show up. That yeah. battle scene was yeah. I'm Hen. Yes. So freaking real. Like yes. so like being able to see Legolas pull multiple arrows out oh, and yeah. be shooting like two or three, like stabbing someone with an arrow and then shooting yeah. someone else. Um, just all of the choreographing or all of the choreography to that fight scene blew me away when the orc pulls the sword in on himself. Yeah, Lurtz. Lurtz. Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. Who is That's... not in the books, by the way. Lurtz does not exist in the books. He is really? only in the movies as one really? of the leaders of the Orokai. He should have survived for uh the two towers. I think oh, I mean I think man. they gave him a pretty good neat death, but yeah. I'm gonna give you two pieces of information about that scene in the movie, by the way, that people may not know, which is a behind the scenes moment. Give it. So first of all, the choreographer for these films was the guy who also choreographed the prequel lightsaber fights. He Ooh. used to be Errol Flynn's <gasps> sword choreographer. No shit. He Whoa. is the guy that did the Lord of the Rings uh, uh, choreography for the sword, like the sword choreography. And Vigo trained extensively under him. By the way, when Vigo came on, he looked at his prop sword and just quietly said, "Can I? Can I keep this one?" Yeah. And they were like, "I uh, guess, yeah." He went everywhere with this sword everywhere wow. he went to dinners and restaurants with the sword because he wanted to feel what it was like to live and die by the sword it was like yeah. his best friend and he wanted to have that so that's a really cool thing the scene where lurtz gets that dagger out of his leg uh-huh and throws it back at aragorn was actually an outtake he it slipped from the fake blood that he had in his hands mm. and it went right for Vigo and Vigo actually swung his sword and hit it in real life. Whoa. Wow. And you see the chips of the metal because he actually deflected it for real. This was not planned, guys. And Holy they kept shit. that in the film because it was so badass. Yeah. Yeah. That they were like, no, this guy, I get chills thinking about That's that, by the awesome. way. That's like, awesome. That is it was so not, cool. They were like, whoa, what? The fuck? He was Aragorn in that moment, by the way. That is so cool. The only other scene that really jumped out to me uh, was when uh, Frodo meets uh, Galadriel. Uh, sorry, yes. Kate, Kate Blanchett's character. Yes, um, yes Galadriel. Yeah. yeah, when she is... Um, when he offers her the ring and she turns into like this dark-eyed, big... Yeah beast of an elf you know like screaming about it and yeah. then passing the test and saying no not me that just blew me away like i legit like <clears throat> was like on the edge of my couch i was like holy shit i loved it i can't even it's really hard to pick a moment in this movie because this whole movie does it for me but i would say the first time i saw the ring wraiths when they like pull up to like right outside the Shire and there's this, you know, they go, Shire. Yes. And you see this red eye in the horse and the hooves are stomping and it's like done in slow motion. You could feel the weight of these things. Like the ring wraiths felt so terrifying. And I had never experienced that in film. I was like, wow, like that look, that is real. Like that. Yeah. I think that was the one moment that captured me. And then I think, you know, there was, you know, the Mines of Moria scene when the when they fight the orcs, like all that's cool. But like you, Rob, the Amon Hen battle scene did it for me. But specifically when 
Aragorn looks down and sees Frodo's sword glowing blue and he just draws his sword and he's like, run, Frodo, run. And then like he holds that sword up, presenting it to like these hundreds of Urukai that are in front of him. And he just goes into that battle. That that was like that did it for me, man. Everybody talks about Legolas and his arrows. Like that whole sequence is amazing. But I think that that moment. I I, w- I just didn't know what to expect because I had forgotten about the book. So when I saw it, it was like, this is the most amazing thing ever. Like, I yeah. thought these were supposed to be boring. Like, who the f- Like, what? No. Yeah. It's the most incredible <laughs> movie ever. And I think I, I think I was on Lord of the Rings fever for no joke, like maybe like five, six months until that DVD came out. Oh, yeah. Which used to take a lot longer than now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Nowadays, they just churn it out, churn it out. Let's go. So I got a question for you guys. Yeah. What do you think the ring represents? wow that's a very good question actually i don't know i just i mean like in the movie for instance it just represents you know uh, an evil force a force of evil that is tied to its master yeah but But you know like when they say about galadriel passing these tests and attempted like what do you think the metaphor for it is man i think at the very base level it's about the temptations of cognizant beings, you know, like whether that be, I'm talking everyone that lives in a middle earth world. Right. So it is the worst of people, but it also represents the best of people because if you can say no to it, you know that like you have a level of strength above those mm. who have no power against it you know and then yeah. i think a good, that's a really good analysis and and as a ring you know it's never ending it goes around you know it it, it it's this idea that like <sighs> i don't know i think i could expand on that or pontificate on it for a while but i do believe that the idea of like emotions good and evil there isn't a beginning or an end it's all about the choices that we make as people mm. what do you think peter um <clears throat> i kind of have to piggyback off of what rob is saying but uh the ring it's a very small object and some people can look at uh a little evil here and there as mm-hmm. being very, very small, mm-hmm. but it can expand into something bigger than the size of a ring. You know? yeah. In other words, it can have a ripple. Uh, your choices in life can have a ripple effect, whether they be good or evil, you know? Yes. And yes. the ring, of course, like I said, it represents power and it's, you know, just to piggyback off of what you said, Rob, it's uh, whether you want to take that power or not. There's mm-hmm. choices in life that you, that you, that you do. I, I you know, because I remember like thinking about that the whole time, right? Like I, I looked at it like, well, obviously it's not heroin addiction, but like you could perceive it that way, right? You could perceive it as many Ooh. things. Um, and I remember that I, I think in the making of or one of the one of the DVDs, because I, I bought the extended versions, and they have just this amazing amount of extra features about the making of this movie. It's amazing to watch. Um, I think Tolkien said that he left it up to interpretation, right? Like mm. he obviously had influences from World War One and and the violence and death that he experienced and stuff, but he tied it to basically being, you know, it's it is a force of evil, but it's whatever you think it represents, right? And I thought that was just so clever. Um, but I, you know, I agree with you guys. I think that it's true. It's like this, but you can look at it in so many ways, and and. And there is a clear distinction, which is what I like about Lord of the Rings. I think people are now kind of swayed by uh, Game of Thrones and wanting that gray area of good and evil. But I really like the traditional story of a good versus evil. Yeah. You know, like the forces of good versus the forces of evil. And I think this film does that so well while also keeping an emotional, hey, anybody could go both ways. Like it's Well, I mean, like, yeah, exactly. But it's like... Here's the thing. Uh, it also is gray. This movie also has gray. You know what I mean? Yeah. Boromir is a gray character. Yeah, he is. You know, for them to, for someone that is a lover of Game of Thrones, which yes. I love the first like few seasons. And yeah, I know. What you mean. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get me started with that. But anyway, um, 
for someone to say that they like Game of Thrones over Lord of the Rings because, oh, you know, in Lord of the Rings, they're both either good or evil. And in Game of Thrones, it's a lot of gray area. Yeah. I'm sorry. There's gray characters in this movie. Yes, there in are. In this story, there's yeah. Faramir, who doesn't really make the right choices, and he's pushed right. to make the right choices. Boromir. the approval. Who, he wants his yes. father's approval. Yeah, you know, yeah, just yeah. because, like, you have this evil, dark Lord Sauron, in, you know, in yeah. the... Who was a good guy. Who was a good guy. It's, Sauron it's was like, like Lucifer. He was like the beautiful yeah. elvish kind of angel and he I, fell. I mean, it, it is a fantasy story that has one centralized bad guy. Okay, cool. Yeah, it's yeah. It's just like with Game of Thrones where you have the um you have the Snow the King, Walkers. the Snow King. Yeah, exactly. Yes, They're the, pure the evil. King, yeah. They could have they could have expanded on it and made it not so made them have that gray area yeah, too, but yeah. they didn't. Yeah. You see what I mean? Yeah. So even yeah. with that story, you have a pure evil up uh, beyond the mountains. Yes, yes. I just think that Game of Thrones dove into more of the disgust of politics and humanity and power. See, like there, there was more. Like I feel like there's more unified force in the Lord of the Rings that is like we need to. Not defend really though. Well, true. No, not really. True. Because you have Gondor versus Rohan, and it took Rohan forever to you know come to their aid. Yes. But even with th- this movie, there's right, also right. political intrigue. Just right. because there's no red wedding in this movie doesn't mean there's no political intrigue. Yeah, you're right. Mm. You know. You're right. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty much the same. It's yeah. except the only difference is, is that in this movie you have a wizard <laughs> helping a <real> out. <laughs> let's talk about that Balrog scene, Peter. Yes, let's. Okay, I'm the servant Bring of the secret fire, on. wielder of the flame of Arnor. <laughs> you shall not pass. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like one of the most memeable. Um, one of the most memeable scenes well, ever, Peter. You know? Next Tops, to it's all right then. Keep your secrets. Yes. <laughs> and I love how you popped that into like the promo teasing that we were recording that episode, uh-huh. Rob, by the way. Yeah. I couldn't stop. But yeah, let's get back into it, guys. Peter, I I, I stole your passion. I know, to the British of Kassadum. Okay, so... <laughs> By the way, that, that is going to be the... Pro- that is the promo. What is? It's you in fucking wizard costume. No! <laughs> like, on a green screen going, you And stopping that. Like, we're doing that. Like, oh, doing God. That. Okay, yeah. I'm, I, I, I'm down. Let's go. Let's we do it. it. I'm going <laughs> to buy some gray robes, a tall, gray, pointy... I'm going to get a beer. I'm going to get the whole do thing. Do it. I'm going to get the whole thing, guys. <laughs> Oh, All right, yeah. I just call being a uh, a hobbit. That's what I want to be. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Sounds good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, I was thinking more like uh, I could be a Nazgul and like chasing. You know that you I guys. have Narsol, right? I have the sword that cut the ring from the finger. Oh So shit. I will. Uh, since my hair's a little longer now, I'll do a little Aragorn thing there. Yeah, yeah. And uh, there we go. We got we got promo built. We got promo. Okay. This is you a peek behind the curtain, guys. This is yes. People peak know. Behind. Yes, yes. Because you guys have already seen it, so it's like you <laughs> went back in time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but no, the 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 Mines of Moria scene is actually, you know what? Other than the ones, the scenes that I pointed out that I yes. really really pop in my head whenever yes. I think of the Fellowship, it's also the Mines of Moria scene. Yes, um, I love that that part of the entire film is probably one of my favorites. Once it's over and they're running to the to the force of Lothorian, I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm kind of not checked out, but it's like, ah. All that build up, and then it's like, oh. but let, okay, you know? we'll get back to uh, the Balrog in a second. But like, I gotta tell you, man, it hit me like a ton of bricks when you hear Enya's voice, like, because that yeah. was Enya singing that high pitched, and like Frodo on the cl- on the like facing the cliff, holding there, and he just turns, and there's that one tear that streams down his face after Gandalf fell. Yep. I get chills. It's so powerful. powerful yeah, like, yeah. It, it's it, that. That movie had so much rich emotion in with the characters. I think the first scene that that was shot uh, was uh, was that scene. No, it was actually with- the the ring wraith uh, looking over the hobbits under the root. Oh, really? That was wow. the first scene they shot. Oh. Yes, for the movie. Wow. Okay. Yes. yes. That was the first scene up. Yeah. But yeah, no, so th- that's probably one of my favorite sections of the entire film is when they get trapped in there by the Watcher in the water. 
and then they have to march their way out. And then once they get to the bridge of Doom with the Balrog chasing them and and uh, and Gandalf, he's all like, "This foe is beyond any of you." <laughs> and they all the the shot, especially the shot, it always gave me a little bit of vertigo when the they're running across the bridge and the yeah. bridge is so oh, narrow, yeah. and it just like comes around and watches the hobbits and everybody else run across the bridge. I know you guys aren't into this, but I am. Like, I love playing Dungeons and Dragons. And I got to tell you, this every time I watch um, this movie, I, I just want <laughs> to play Dungeons and Dragons. Rob, and also the music. Just so yeah. you know, the, the entire, I love the all ent- those types of games. So oh, hell, <laughs> hell yes. <laughs> the music, though, the music is very different from in this section yeah. than the rest of the film. You yeah. know what I mean? You always have like the the Enya stuff that you were talking about or other other you know sounds in this particular part it's more um dwarvish yeah yeah yeah, exactly you see what i mean it's more it feels it feels very different even heavy music but not like heavy metal it's like you feel it on your shoulders you know yes exactly like a dwarf you know yeah like my axe um. <laughs> I mean, Howard Shore on, nailed it with themes in this movie. Yes, you know? he did. And, and it's weird because movies nowadays don't really have themes. Like Avengers maybe did, you know what I mean? But like there isn't like a clear yeah, distinct theme. It's like all tones tell. and yeah, stuff. Exactly. Here, yeah, exactly. Here you get themes. I've never thought about that, Rob, but I'm glad you said that because when, you know, the mountaintop theme, when I yes. heard that again, I was like, yep, Lord of the Rings. I know this. Yeah. And now yeah. that you say that out loud, it's like, I don't really remember the last movie that, uh, I mean, Peter, going back to our Back to the Future episode, where you can just yeah. like hum. Dun, 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 dun. Yes. And then everyone you know in the room is going to be like, oh, shit, that, you know? Dun, dun, um, dun, 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 dun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And I can't, I could not pinpoint another movie. That doesn't mean that it probably didn't happen, and I'm sure someone will leave me a comment. But at the same time, it's like, tell me the last Lord of the Rings theme. Tell me the last Back to the Future theme. I you can't know? even think of the I, Hobbit themes and no. it was the same composer. Wow. Well, what was the most recent movie that has come out that has had specific themes? I would say Avengers. Ending. Yeah, I think. Like, I, a, like any of the Avengers movies has that. But still, think of can the, you hum it right now? Yeah. Oh, I well, can't because I've got Lord of the Rings stuck. In well, my head, okay, right? maybe. But... Uh, no, that, uh, dun dun dun. Okay, yeah, yeah. You know, like the the like yeah. uh, what is it called? Uh, uh, fuck, I had it before. It's like, Sylvester. Alan Sylvester, yeah, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Guys, obviously, there's so much that we can talk about this movie as a whole, and we're going to be talking about the Lord of the Rings for the whole month because we're doing all three films. But did this movie leave you as a whole specifically with something? Because I revisit these movies every year. I watch all three of them and I walk away with always feelings of nostalgia and new understandings of the movie. But I would love to know what you guys took away from at least the, just the, the, the Fellowship of the Ring the first time you guys saw it. Well, I'm going to I'm going to start. If you don't mind, Rob, I'm going to oh, start it off. Here. Please, <laughs> but, Peter, um, please. We have a tradition in my family where we have to watch all three Lord of the Rings movies hmm. on Christmas Eve. Oh, that is like awesome. <laughs> yeah. And it is the it is the biggest struggle to stay awake. I mean, <laughs> I I've had so many Christmas Eves where I'm watching Lord of the Rings, the the fellowship and I wake up and we're already on the middle of the two towers. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and I always pass out by the end of the bridge of Kasadum. And then I wake up when Gandalf is Gandalf the White. And I was like, what happened? Yeah. I missed the whole movie. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but my biggest takeaway from this film is um, it's just film language in general. Like uh, this for me, this movie, it has different tones and different layers. Like if you look at the if you look at Minas Morgul, it has a lot of greens and then uh, um they don't really focus in on Mordor as much, but it's very red. And then once you get to Rivendell, it's like a lot of life and color. And so this movie, the Fellowship looks very different from the Two Towers. And that one looks very different from Return of the King. They all look very different and they're very unique films in their own way. 
And for me, that's my biggest takeaway from this. You can you can actually make your make your film look very different in certain areas from the rest of the film. Yeah. I think that like if I'm gonna talk takeaway, especially going back to like my first viewing, I it was it was such a new world for me. It was such a new Middle Earth. And like understanding that like there is a whole side of fiction. Like I loved the X-Men. I was a comic book kid. I read comics all growing up and I loved I still do. And it's like knowing that this was like an aspect that was totally outside of my worldview um, and opened that up to me is is mind-blowing because I love this stuff. You know, I love playing The Witcher on my PlayStation. You know, Mm -hmm. I love playing Shadow of Mordor. (laughs) Let's put that out there, right? (laughs) Um, You know, I love Skyrim. But like coming back and like essentially having this film Fellowship of the Ring to be like my onboarding point for all fantasy is something very special to me. It wasn't Willow like other people or The Hobbit, let's say, in middle school or something like that. It was like, this is what introduced me to a world of like something I enjoy and Mm, that I wouldn't have known probably for much longer if these these movies hadn't have come out and it just feels good to revisit them and quite frankly i think i shouldn't have taken this long to rewatch this movie and yeah <laughs> it's now going to be a staple of like not just comfort food movie but like respect viewing i'm coining this term right now it's like it's almost like i need to watch this because we have to remember that this movie is fucking amazing and god thank you guys for suggesting it i'm so excited to rewatch two towers and then return of the king yes yes side note guys before you go i've already seen all of them and i'm gonna rewatch them again (laughs) i get sad when i because i watch them every year and i watch them back to back and then i always get sad when they end but no my my key takeaways from when i watched this movie was I was opened again to the wonder. Like I felt that same feeling I had when I first watched Jurassic Park. Mm. You know, like I was like, anything is possible now. Like, like the movies, and it's not just because of the special effects or whatever. It's just they executed it brilliantly. Like I remember, like I told you guys earlier in the podcast that, I mean, I always loved fantasy stuff or whatever, but I didn't understand the beauty of the Lord of the Rings because. You know, it wasn't cool to like Lord of the Rings in middle school. And everybody bashed. I was like, oh, we have to read a Lord of the Rings. It was So I went along with the sheep. Sure. And I always had this idea that it was going to be boring. And because everybody said it was boring. And I wasn't like a big reader. I don't love to read. I, I get I, I my mind tends to drift off a lot. And, you know, I'd read The Hobbit all the way through and I vaguely remember it. So I knew a lot of the elements of Lord of the Rings. But when I saw them on film it really cemented the idea of like, wow, this is how you execute a fantasy movie. And Peter Jackson's direction inspired me so much that I remember I would listen to the Lord of the Rings soundtracks as I was writing tidbits and world building for the Riven. And wow. it served as a massive source of inspiration for the Riven in terms of how these movies were made. Like I had all the books on the weaponry and the armors and how they designed those and just the sheer attention to detail. And, the love of Peter Jackson for these properties and and just the way that he brought everybody together, the, sorry, how he brought everybody together to make this movie. And it came together just brilliantly. Like that inspired me more to become a director. I think that's what I took away from it is that these were staples in movies. Like nothing was ever going to come close to this bar. Like these mm-hmm. movies stand alone. Yep. And I really... I'm looking forward to the Amazon show, but I really kind of, hey, I'm I'm rooting for you guys, but I don't think you're going to live up to the expectation of those movies. Well, yeah, because this was lightning in a bottle. This was lightning in a bottle, like as Peter said, and and 
you know, obviously Peter Jackson got awarded the Oscar at, you know, when he did the the Return of the King because I look at those movies as one whole project and the Academy just was like, okay, we have to award it at the end just because if not, yeah. he's going to sweep every year. You know what I mean? Like they were unprecedented, beautiful movies. And I think that's what I, I took away from it. And it inspired me to create my own type. So that's that's what I take away from that. Awesome. Awesome. Guys, we have to wrap it up, unfortunately. But Aww. there's more <laughs> Lord of the Rings. We're not gonna we're coming. not gonna make this podcast as long as the Lord of the Rings movies. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I was thinking more like Back to the Future episode <laughs> yeah. or Indiana Jones in season one, you know? Let's go scene by scene, guys. All right. So uh the opening scene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's retake it, guys. Um, no, but everyone who's a fan. They know what they need to do. They've already left us their rating and reviews on Apple Podcasts or whatever. But like we, there is, uh, just so our listeners know, there's talks that might be bringing us some new listeners by the time this episode comes out. And we want to welcome you all. We want to welcome you to the Madrigal at the Movies with Rob and Rob family. And one thing we do as a family initiation is we ask you to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, letting us know the movie you want us to cover. So it takes two seconds. Don't do it tomorrow. Do it now. And that's all. That's the only thing we're asking of you at this point. Guys, Peter, Rob, another fantastic episode. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you to our listeners in joining with us to celebrate movies the way that we do. So I very much appreciate that. For Rob and Rob, I am Peter Madrigal, and you are listening to Madrigal at the Movies with Rob and Rob. Hear you next week. Yeah. See ya. Madrigal at the Movies with Rob and Rob is hosted by Peter Madrigal, Rob Federick, and Rob Schulte. The podcast is edited by me, Chris Tyler, and produced by Rob Schulte. If you're looking to support